Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, Speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion, and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White, and Blue podcast is now in session. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for an exciting interview with one of my favorite authors, Mark Batterson. I've read dozens of Mark's books, read them with my wife, read them with friends. We even had a study on one of his books right here with a couple members in the Florida House. I'm excited for you to get to hear from Mark today. Mark is a pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and the author of several books, including Win the Day, the bestseller The Circle Maker, and his newest book, Do It for a Day. He's also authored one of the books with the coolest names ever, In a Pit, with a lion on a snowy day. You can also find Mark blogging at www.devotional.com. Join me now for my interview with Mark Batterson. Mark, thanks for being with me. Hey, absolutely, Chris. Good to uh, hang out. I've read, I've read uh, so many of your books. In fact, I was doing a little bit of an inventory similar to that kind of backdrop you got in the back of this Zoom call with all those books. And I think I've counted them. I think I've read more of your books than maybe any other person. And I can tell you, each one of them in a very different way has had a profound effect on me as a lawmaker, as a husband, as a father, as a believer. Uh, so thank you so much for for providing that and sowing that seed kind of into the world. It means a lot to us. Well, that's uh, an answer to prayer because I, I always pray, Lord, put these books in the right hands at the right time. And Chris, as, as you know, if you want to do anything in this world, you got to get up early, get at it. And writing is hard work, but it's a labor of love. And when I know that a book has impacted someone's life, especially someone who is impacting the world, that means even more to me. So thanks so much. Well, I appreciate that. And I, you know, I know you talk a lot about kind of God-sized dreams um, and uh, and how we go about tackling that. So you know, I want to go right into it. I mean, your two of your books, which you know, I'll say, you know, I I kind of keep replacing which one is my favorite. Um, <laughs> the, the last two are just really awesome. You know, one of which, of course, is win the day and then do it for a day. But you know, win the day. Obviously, you're talking a lot about God sized dreams and and how to tackle it. So so tell us why you wrote that book, one God sized dream. Which, by the way, I got to say, if if I remember correctly, Mark, one of your God sized dreams was, hey, I want to write a book by the time I'm 30. Um, that's going to impact the world. Uh, that's a dream. Not only have you done, but now you've repeated what 22 sometimes. Um, so that's, that's one you've accomplished. So tell us why you decided to, to write win the day. Yeah. You know, I think Chris, there are a lot of people that have these dreams or goals, but you have to reverse engineer them into daily habits. The only, it's the only way that it's going to happen. You know, the, the good news is kind of, kind of the working theory of when the day is almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough and smart enough. But so much of that is just figuring out what are those uh, daily habits that are going to add up to, and, and it's true of relationships. It's true of emotional health. It's true. If you want to get into shape or get out of debt, you know, you, you got to reduce it down to some daily habits. So I really wanted to empower people. And when you take it one day at a time, I think after, uh, after a year or two or 10, you can step back and say, wow, that, that added up to even more than I imagined. I, uh, I woke up one morning. It was about you know five o'clock. My wife says, you know, I'm, you know, where are you going? I, I was going to go to the gym, so I said, I'm, I'm on my way to eat the frog, 
She's like, what are you talking about? You know, tell, tell us a little bit about Eat the Frog, where that came from. Well, it's it's a uh, Mark Twain is purported to have said, if you ever have to eat a frog, do it first thing in the morning, because then you'll know that the hardest thing is behind you, which is absolutely ridiculous, but uh, it rings true. Like you, you got to get up and hit the ground running. And, and, you know, Chris, I want to be careful here. Cause I like, for example, I know you, you have uh, two young sons. And, and so like, if you have little kids, listen, sometimes getting them dressed and getting them fed feels like an accomplishment. So, you know, there, there's, I, I want to, add a dose of real life here that, uh, you know, life isn't lived in a vacuum where everything comes easy, but you do, you have to get up and, you know, I think you have to have a goal in mind for, for why you're getting up. And it probably ought to be a higher goal than just getting out of the door just in time to get to work. Uh, I think we, we need to maybe set goals that are a little bit higher than that. I feel, I feel like you must've seen us, uh, you know, make breakfast for our kids and you know how, how hectic it can be. I got two two little boys, five and six, and it certainly uh, it can be a challenge, but we love every single second of it. But you know, you talk about hey, we don't live life in a vacuum, right? Everybody has different adversities, whether it's as cool as two little small boys running around making noise or or something else. But you talk about that. You talk about adversity in the book. You say you know, hey, listen, you know, you got to kiss the wave, um, and and what that what that means. And I I think that's really important because. Um, I want you to tell us about it because I think as, you know, as lawmakers, right, we're constantly looking at things like education, you know, K-12, higher education. And I think there's a concern, at least there's a concern on my part and a lot of other people that we are trying to protect our kids so much from adversity that we've stopped telling them all that, that they can learn from that adversity. So tell us a little about Kiss the Wave and kind of your, your thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, Chris, this will resonate with you. And I may flip the question on you here in a moment. But, you know, my, my wife has had two bouts with breast cancer. And when she got that first diagnosis, that, that's such a, it's a sucker punch. It's scary. You don't know what stage. You don't know what the prognosis is. And I'll, I'll never forget this. She, she read a piece of poetry that posed a question. And the question was this what have you come to teach me? Now, that, that's a really hard question to ask if you're going through a tough circumstance, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, but uh, so proud of the way that my wife didn't just give up or you know shrink away from that challenge. She really viewed it as an opportunity. And you know we've been through two bouts now, Chris, but she did ring the bell uh, a few months ago after radiation treatments. And I, I tell you what, she changed her diet. She changed the way that she takes care of her mental health. And I would say that she's probably healthier than she was before that diagnosis. Why? Because she, she kissed the wave. And so that's a, it's a little take from a guy named Charles Spurgeon who said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And that, that's one of those statements you have to stop and think about. But is it okay if I flip the question? Yeah, no, please. You, you walk through your own battle. Like how, how did that, what, what was your mindset and how has that changed you as a person? Yeah, when I was 18, I went through a bout with, bout with cancer. Um, you know, it's really different. I always tell people like, I was so young, right? So I, I, I wanna kind of say, I wanna be careful, right? Because 
you know, someone like your wife, who is, in my opinion, a true hero, who has much more in the way of responsibility that I had at 18, right? She's a, she's a, you know, she's a wife. She's a, you know, she's a mother, you know, she's got all of these people that she's worried about that, that she's responsible for. I mean, it's your children, you have, you know, so there's the stress level. Um, I think that that creates is far more than, than what I went through. But when I was 18, I went through this bout with cancer and I'll tell you what, I, I didn't know about, of course you hadn't written one the day yet. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I thought about it in the context of, Hey, embrace the adversity, but I thought what was really unique about that experience, Mark, was I was sitting there and getting, you know, chemotherapy treatments next to people who were much older than me. And it opened up this amazing opportunity where people would pour into me and share things with me that they probably would not have shared with somebody so young, so early. Um, so I, I've always said that it's one of the greatest experiences. That's a weird thing to say, right? But one of the greatest experiences I've ever had was being able to go through that. So thanks for asking. But it was, uh, it's certainly something that I've kind of held on to. And I think as a parent, I'm sure you feel this way, right? Is I try to think about whether it's my own kids or other people's kids. I want us to be a culture that embraces adversity because I think it's like what has made America great. Yeah, it, it it really has. And and I look back on my life and my first attempt at church planting was a failure. And Chris, it was so embarrassing, especially for kind of a type three achiever on the Enneagram, uh, someone that, you know, experienced a measure of success academically, even athletically in college. Like it was so hard to fail at something. But I think, you know, what I walked away with is the, the cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. And so you walk through those difficult times and it's like going to the gym. Like the only way you're going to get stronger is increase the resistance. And, and so in life, I've even learned in the leadership forum that it's funny, Chris, because now there, there are days that 10 years ago would have seemed so difficult but now they'd almost seem like a day off to me because, you know, the leadership challenges get harder. The stakes get higher. But I, I really believe that it's God uh, preparing us for some of those future opportunities. And, and you got to cultivate the character. You've got to learn the lesson. And then you grow into uh, the next challenge that you're going to face. And so I'm, I'm a big believer that zero gravity isn't going to get you where you need to go. In fact, zero gravity, you will atrophy. This is scientifically true. And, and so we need the challenges. And, and um, when we get to the other side, then, you know, I'll put on my pastor hat and say, you know, you, you can't spell testimony without those first four words, test. Like you have to pass the test and then, then you get this testimony out of it. Well, I, I know enough that I'm uh, don't worry about the basketball thing. I'm never going to play you in basketball. Uh, they used to send me in to foul out to give the big guy a rest. But, um, you know, you talk about how things get easier, right? The more adversity, the more testing you've had. And you talk about that in the book, right? Like one of the ways to do that, you say, is like, hey, you got a habit stack. You know, it's kind of like going to the gym. Like you do the same thing once a week, right? It gets easier over time. You add the resistance. So, you know, I, I ask you that in part because you talk about it and win the day, but then you follow it up and do it for a day as a way to really give somebody, Hey, here's 30 days. Like if you really want something to stick, you know, here's how you go about it. Why, why have you decided to spend so much of your time kind of helping people not just learn about, learn about Christ and how to, you know, how to follow their faith journey, but also to say, Hey, you need to start creating great habits. Well, the, the first observation I would make is that 
spiritual formation is really habit formation and habit formation is spiritual formation. You know, the, the typical term is uh, spiritual disciplines, but I'm like everybody else, Chris, I, I may pastor a church, but that certainly doesn't mean that I'm immune to temptation or that somehow I walk six inches above the ground. I'm, I'm, I'm as human as they come. If I don't practice daily spiritual disciplines, I'm going to atrophy like everybody else. And so one of the things that one of my daily habits is a daily Bible reading plan. I downloaded it from you version and then I worked the plan and uh, but one of the things that, that makes it a little bit more enjoyable, in fact, uh, I have my afternoon uh, latte in hand right now. My office happens to be right above the coffee house that we own and operate here on Capitol Hill. And so uh, my, my little formula is uh, the, the Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. <laughs> and so uh, I do my daily Bible reading plan in the morning, Chris. I, I grab my latte. And the Bible reads even better with caffeine. So that, that's a simple example of habit stacking. And there, there are lots of different ways to employ that. But it, so much of it is just being a student of yourself. And, and I would say leadership starts with self-leadership. And so you've got to find ways to get those habits into place, uh, be they spiritual, physical, mental. Uh, and these days, you know, it could be literally five minutes of meditation every morning because the world's spinning so fast. And there are there's so much white noise in the world that we've got to make sure that the still small voice of the Holy Spirit's the loudest voice in our life. And so you've got to find those daily habits that are going to keep you grounded and keep you centered. Last time I was in D.C., I, I stopped by Ebenezer's uh, coffee shop. I don't have my mug with me today, but I purchased a <laughs> mug uh, and I purchased some books. I, I thought I owned them all, but apparently I didn't. Um, so I, I love it. I got caught up, but uh, it's a great story, Ebenezer's, how you guys converted it from a from a crack house into this great place of fellowship and, and, and devotion for people. So it's a really, really cool story. You know, when you talk about win the day, uh, one of the cool things I think is, you know, this was, by the way, we've, we've adopted this as sort of our team motto, right? Win the I love day. it. And I, I think when we go back to habit stacking, I, I think it's important that we talk about, hey, you can't win the year. You can't win the month. It's too much. You know, it, it's kind of like your Bible readings, right? You're taking a small amount every day. I can't win. The, I can't even win the week, but I might be able to win the day and then start over tomorrow. And I think that that's awesome. Um, I, I also want you to know, I, I definitely stole from you the coffee idea. Definitely going to have a cup of coffee in the morning. You know, I also think, of, you know, a cup of coffee equals better governing. So we like to do we like to do coffee. But uh, I think it's a great time to build in kind of a, a habit stack. So, so thanks for that tidbit. I love it. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you're in the kind of realm that you're in, a lot of people think about winning an election as opposed to winning the day. And it's true in sports. I mean, I, I have the opportunity to do a lot of chapels for uh, college and professional teams. And really, anybody that's successful at anything, they're, they're not focused on the game. They're focused on practice. They're not focused on the election. They're focused on serving people day in and day out. And in my context, I would say, you know, the only ceiling on your intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. And so it really does come down to win the day. I also love you have this story. And I, and I think it's in the, it might be in the circle maker, but about the guy who's planting the tree 
um, that's going to bear fruit. And these people come along and they say, well, gosh, why are you, you know, how long is it going to take for this tree to bear fruit? And they're like, well, 70 years. And they're like, gosh, listen, I hate to tell you this, but you're old. You're going to die. Like, why are you doing this? And they're like, well, because when I was a kid, there was all these trees that bore fruit. So I figure if I plant this tree now, it, it will grow and it'll bear fruit. And I, I want you to know, like what we're doing here in the Florida house is we're talking a lot about, hey, not what Florida is going to look like next election or two weeks from now or, or, or five years from now, but what does it look like a generation from now? And how can we sow seeds in governing now to help our people prosper and do well, you know, 30 years from now? So, you know, I think that's, it's really important what you've, what you've done to kind of set that framework. I love that. And and that's, you know, we tend, Chris, to think right here, right now, but God is thinking nations and generations. There's something bigger at play. And so I love this idea in Jeremiah 29. And, you know, a lot of people know this, this uh, verse 11. um, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And, And it's an amazing promise. What people don't realize is that it was written to Jewish exiles in Babylon. And it was going to be 70 years before they experienced their freedom again. But there's this little passage that says um, plant gardens and build houses and seek the peace and prosperity of the city where you are. And I think this idea of thinking in three and four generation timelines is critical. You know, I I know because you serve our country in your capacity that this may ring a bell, but I noticed the way that a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln, they, they would use this little phrase, Chris, the unborn millions. And, and the technical term would be remote futurity, this idea that how can we do what we do for those that we may never even meet on this side of eternity. And so one of my definitions of discipleship is it's, it's growing fruit on other people's trees. That legacy is not what you accomplish. Legacy is what others accomplish because of you. And so with, with that kind of mindset, I, I think it's key to governing. I think it's key to uh, pastoring a church and it's key to raising a family. You got to dream big and pray hard and think long. I love that. And, you know, you've written a lot about, you know, God-sized dreams. Uh, one of my favorites, you know, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. You know, it had to be a snowy day. It just couldn't be in a pit with a lion. No, of course. Absolutely. This is God. It had to be snowing. Tell us about that book, why you wrote it and, and, and how it kind of relates to having those, you know, being a lion chaser and, and having God-sized dreams. I don't often share this piece, but I was actually 19 years old and I was listening to a a guy named Sam Farina preached a, a sermon on this little verse about a guy named Beniah who uh, did just that, chased the lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it, became King David's bodyguard, eventually commander-in-chief of Israel's army. So like kind of number two uh, in the nation of Israel. Um, but it all started with a moment where am I going to run away from what I'm afraid of or am I going to run to the roar? I think God is raising up a generation that's not going to run away. Don't let fear dictate your decisions. In fact, the the context for that, you'll you'll appreciate this. I was sitting down with a candidate for uh, mayor here in D.C. uh, several years ago, and, and I just asked them, how can I pray for you? 
And, and I'll never forget the way they answered. It, it, imagine if more public servants answered that question this way. They, they said to me, pray that I don't let fear dictate my decisions. That's powerful. I might throw in there the fear of people. I, I think right now we're in a context where you know, it's scary to, to live according to what you uh, believe, according to your convictions. That, that's what I see in that story. It's someone who, who uh, chases a 500-pound line, changes the trajectory of their life and the trajectory of history. And so uh, we, we need a few more people with that kind of courage. I love that. Listen, if Benai can go into a pit and with, a, with a line on a snowy day, it's like, don't be afraid of Twitter. It's not real. <laughs> not real life. I love it. Um, the, the question that, Chris, that I've been asking recently is, is this, what percentage of your words, thoughts, and actions are a regurgitation of the media you're watching or the social media you're consuming? And, and what percentage are a revelation that you're getting from God's word. Like you, you have to consider the inputs. And so uh, I, I love that perspective. The Twitter, uh, it's it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> All right, we agree. We agree. I think, uh, you know, between uh, in a pit with a line on a snowy day, which by the way, you know, you talked about Benaya going to work for King David as his bodyguard. You have this image that you put in the book, which I think is awesome. We're like, hey, King David's sitting there and he's going through resumes. And he's like, all right, this guy went to the, you know, Israeli college and, you know, did, you know, whatever bodyguard degree. Um, and then he gets to Benaya's resume and he's like, he killed a lion. It's like, I killed a lion. Like, this is my guy. Yeah. I love it. I, I, man, put, put that on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, it's cool about, you know, you have that, this sort of warrior ethos, right. Between those two books, between lion chaser and in a post with a lion on a snowy day. And I think, you know, to your point about run towards the roar, right? I think as, as folks in government, right, so often there's so many different constituencies, I think, who say, don't do this. It'll rock the boat. It's too much. You know, we, you know, it, this is, this isn't the right time, maybe next year. And I think one thing that we have kind of created this great culture in the Florida house among our members, and it's really a credit to them is we've run towards the roar, right? We've said, Hey, listen, you know, luckily we live in a term limited environment, unlike DC, where we can say, hey, listen, the clock is ticking. You know, you can go after the lion now or you'll never get another chance again. So go go into the pit. So I think it's been a great kind of guiding light. So you're you're a dad. You know, I want to talk a little bit about that. You wrote a book called Play the Man, which is also one of my favorites. And we actually did a, a group of, of dads uh, that are members of the Florida House. We did a Bible study on it last year. Um, you know, use Play the Man. But Great things in that book about um, particularly instilling, I think, in, in your your son. I mean, but your family. But you, there's some really great anecdotes in there about your son and going on a trip and all that kind of stuff. So, so tell me about play the man and why you wrote it. Yeah, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, I want to be famous in my home, and it's hard to be famous in your home if you're never home. And so you, you've got to figure out. In fact, can I just? challenge uh, those who are listening, you know, ha have you defined success for yourself? Because if you don't, you're probably going to adopt some kind of cultural definition and that may or may not be accurate. So Chris, my definition of success is when those who know me best respect me most. And that would be my wife and my kids. So it's not about how many people read my books. 
It's, it's not about how many people I pastor uh, at the end of the day. I want to try to be a really good husband to my wife, a really good dad to my kids. And so Play the Man was just me sharing uh, some hard lessons learned. And, and I might just add this. I, I remember being in a room with about 500 guys and asking them how many of them had been discipled by their dad. And three hands went up. And I would say, Houston, we have a problem because I'm not just called to be a biological father. I'm called to be a spiritual father. And, and I'm also grateful for those who, you know, are not blood relatives, but I, I would call them spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And so really play the man was just sort of issuing a challenge. Let's make sure that we are discipling the next generation because that's the legacy that we're going to leave. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so important, you know, here, uh, one of the things that we've taken on as a house is this crisis, right? Of fatherlessness, you know, so whether it's, you know, lack of spiritual discipleship from your dad, but also just lack of a dad period. Right. And, and kind of the impacts that that's had on kids. So I think we, we took that Bible study as kind of a challenge, not just in our own lives with our own kids, but really, Hey, we need to lean into our state. The fact that we have so many kids who don't have a dad, don't have that, that, in, that person who stands before them to say, Hey, I need you to play the man. And here's what that means. And then all the kind of problems that create. So, you know, we're, we're making some significant efforts to, to try to do what we can. And Chris, I would say, let's do things that are near and dear to the heart of God. And one of those is the orphan, the widow, the fatherless. And so when we do uh, what is near and dear to the heart of God, then I've, I've learned I can uh, put my head on the pillow and usually get a pretty good night's sleep if I'm trying to really invest my time, talent, and treasure in things that, that matter, not just in kind of the, the earthly realm, but also in the kingdom of God. So praise God for that. Absolutely. I want to give your daughter a shout out because now she's done two children's books with you. One of them, one of them we have at home, uh, God Speaks and Whispers, which the boys, our boys really, really love, but also Blessing of You, which is a new one. So tell, tell me how you kind of got to, to write that book with your daughter and, and kind of how, what that's done really for you as, as a father-daughter relationship. Oh, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous joy to write to write a kid's book with the daughter that you used to read bedtime stories to. And those are those are such precious moments, you know, for a father. So, um, yeah, we felt like uh, kids are not too young. They are not too young to discern the voice of God. And so that first book, God Speaks and Whispers, you know, we, we figured that's going to create some wonderful conversations between parents and kids and grandparents. You know, how do you hear the voice of God? And then that second one, Chris, I think it's so critical. I, I, I won't riff on this too much, but the very first thing that God does after creating us in his image is he blesses Adam and Eve. There, there's a blessing that is spoken. And this is, this is a huge part of Orthodox Judaism that you are going to pronounce blessing on the next generation. And so I think as earthly parents, it's uh, our responsibility to pronounce that blessing on our kids and, and find a unique way to do it. For me, it was taking a verse, Luke 2.52, and turning it into a blessing. May, may you grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And I, I pronounce that thousands of times uh, on my kids. 
Well, I uh, I have also stolen that from you and uh, and pray that over our boys every night. So uh, it continues to have an impact on us and our life. Mark, I could sit here for hours and literally ask you about uh, about things in your book. I'll just leave you with this. I had a meeting right before we did this podcast, and I was excited that we were going to get to get, get the chat today. So I mentioned um, someone who was talking about space and Elon Musk, and I told this story that you have about Elon Musk and the Lion Chaser. And uh, when I when we were leaving, this one guy, you know, hangs back from the group and says, "Hey, listen, I got to tell you, if you're going to talk to Mark Batterson, that about seven years ago, I went through this terrible time in my life and gone through a divorce, and I lost my job, and I really just kind of, I've got six kids, and life was just really kind of hitting bottom for me." And uh, he said, I, "I picked up one of Mark's books um, in, a, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. He's like, and it totally changed. Like, I picked myself up. I remember that I had to be a father to my children." You know that 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 you know I had to have God-sized dreams, and you know it's completely changed my life. So I leave you with that. Um, I thank you for coming on, and and really thank you for for the preaching you're doing and how you're you're taking your time and and the God, the talents that God's given you to pour into others. Well, hey Chris, thank you so much. So so encouraged, and uh, may the the Lord bless you, continue to use you as you serve Him and our country. And uh, listen. I'm believing for another move of God. It can start in D.C., it can start in Florida, wherever. We'll just meet in the middle. But uh, may, may his kingdom come, may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Appreciate it very much. Great being with you.